Today I'll be reading from John 10, 22 through 30. At, the, at that time, the Father of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. Or I'm sorry, the Feast of Dedication. It was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. My name is Randy Goff, one of the elders here at Doxa, and man, I'm glad you guys came out on such a beautiful Memorial Day weekend. Yes. Uh, I just want to say a couple of things before we get rolling. Um, it's already been mentioned a couple times, so I don't want to belabor this point, but I just want to say this. Uh, I, for those of you who are involved in the, the wedding uh, this weekend for DJ and Destiny, um, I have never been more proud of our church than I was to see the way that you guys took care of them and loved on them. They're a special couple, and they had a special day, and that was because of you guys. Uh, their church family stepped in and provided for them and worked hard for them and sweated and man, but made them feel super special, and it was something really special to be a part of. Um, and even, not all the, the work that, I mean, working afterwards, and then to know that then prayer was going on also in the prayer tent last night. It was just, as a, as a pastor uh, who could not be everywhere and do everything, uh, it just reminded me, hey, we're the body, and we're family, and we do that for each other, and it was uh, a beautiful thing to be a part of. And if if you're, if you're here and you're not yet a part of this family and this body, um, that's what God's called us to. And we invite you to join in with us and be a part of the family that God has made here. Uh, let's, let's pray and get rolling. Uh, Father, I thank you for the honor that it is uh, to stand here before your people. Lord, I pray for your power and your strength as we've been asking for, uh, to come and fill me, fill us, and fill this room, fill this entire building. Uh, glorify the Son. Glorify Jesus, I pray. Give me your strength. Help us to hear you, Lord, change our hearts and lives. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, today we're back in the Gospel of John, and we're going to be in and out of the book of John, the Gospel of John, throughout the summer. And I'm really excited about what God has for us in the, in the coming months. Um, as we've already mentioned before, today is Pentecost Sunday. It's the anniversary of the day that Jesus poured out the promise of the Father upon those first Christians. The, the Holy Spirit fell on that morning, on that Pentecost morning, fell on a group of weak misfits, and he proceeded to change the world. It was the least likely group of people to change the world, by the way, sort of like the group that's gathered here today. And I'm just praying, Lord, do it again. On this Pentecost Sunday, Lord, do it again. Jesus said the ministry of the Holy Spirit was to glorify him. So we're going to be looking at the words of Jesus today. 
And what we're asking is, Holy Spirit, give life and power to these words. Glorify the Son. So this passage starts with Jesus in Jerusalem in the temple. And some of the Jewish leaders approach him and they ask a big question. They're, they're setting him up and we're going to get to that. But they, they ask him this in verse 24. How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah for the Jews, if you're the Christ, tell us plainly. And how Jesus responds is amazing. And what I hope will happen here this morning is I hope that, that you might hear some of your questions to Jesus this morning, and that you'll hear him answer you. Uh, Jesus answered them and he told them this in verse 25 and 26. They said, if you're the Christ, don't keep us in suspense. Tell us plainly. And he said this. He said, I told you, and you do not believe. The works, the works that I do in my Father's name, picture the feeding of the 5,000, the turning of water into wine, the raising of the dead, the healing of multitudes, the healing of lepers, the, the amazing works that he has done, bear witness. They tell you who I am. If you don't believe my words, if I've told you plainly I am the Christ, if you don't believe that, believe the works that I've done, they bear witness about me. But, this is what he says, but you don't believe because you're not among my sheep. Now, what I want you to notice here is the both offensive but yet kind remarks that Jesus has for these Jews. It depends on how you hear it, how, how Jesus' words kind of hit you, that they come to him and they ask him a question. Now, the question they ask him, it seems to be, a legitimate request, right? They're, they're asking him, hey, if you're the Christ, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Savior that was promised by God, then just tell us plainly. Just come right out and tell us right now, if you're the Christ, if you're the long-awaited Messiah, if you're God, then just come right out and tell us. And Jesus, and the way that he does to not only this group, but to most of us, he answers, but he answers a different question. He answers, but he answers a different question because he's getting to something. Here's what's happening. They, these Jews, in the way that we kind of respond to Jesus, they want him to prove himself. Really, what they, what they want to happen is they, they want him to make an answer that they can refute. They want to discredit him. They want to disprove him. And now, we all do that in conversations sometimes, right? Um, where you ask someone a question that you simply want you're not really interested so much in their answer as you want to disprove their answer. It's sort of, like, sort of like a question like this. So tell me, why did we spend so much money on Amazon this month? You see, you want them to answer the question, but you're not interested in the answer. You want them to hear your response to their answer, right? And now here... They want to be able to use Jesus' response against him publicly and secretly. Also what's going on is they want to be able to ease that inner conviction that's gnawing at their consciences. Because this is true. If Jesus is the Messiah, if he is God, if he's the Savior, and God himself came to save them, because they need saving, by the way. 
and he's the only one who can do it, then these Jews owe him more than just a hearing. They owe him everything they have and everything they are. And that's true for us too. It's true for you. Because if Jesus is God and he came at great cost and he offers salvation, free grace to those who follow him, then if that is true, by the way, it is true. But if that is true, then we have no permission to continue life on our own terms. The clear implication, if that is true, then we actually owe everything to him. This is something that's so important to see with Jesus. There is no middle ground with him. Either he is your Lord and you are his servant, or he was a silly megalomaniac who deserved to be killed and should be forgotten. It's one or the two. Either he is your Lord, not just the Lord, he is your Lord and you are his servant, or he was a silly megalomaniac who deserved to be killed and should be forgotten. So these Jews approach him like this. What they're trying to get him to say is they're trying to get him to say that he's God. Because if they can get him to say that, they can respond, well, obviously that's not true. He's just a man. He came from Nazareth. That's not true. He can't be God. If he were God, he would be different. And that's the way a lot of us respond to Jesus. If he was God, he would be different. But what Jesus does is he turns the table on them because here's the thing about Jesus. In this moment, he feels under no attack. He, he doesn't go on the defensive. He doesn't get argumentative. You know why? Because he's God and he's fully aware that he is God. He doesn't feel a deep need to prove who he is. He knows full well who he is. He watched and even effected the dawning of time. That's who he is. He feels no pressure. It's sort of like this. David Duran, I don't usually do it. David Duran, would you stand up for the people that don't know you? Would you please stand up? <laughs> Guys, this is David Duran. He's the church planner heading up to Plymouth. <laughs> now, it's sort of like this. If I challenge David to a steel cage death match... David feels no need to prove himself because everyone who knows anything already knows who the winner is. It's me. You can sit down, David. They say, tell us clearly. And Jesus says, I've already told you. He had declared himself to be the son of God several times. He had performed many good and miraculous works. He had shown in every manner of who he was, exactly who he was. And this is what Jesus is saying in his response. He's saying, the question you should be asking is why don't I believe in him? That's the question. He turns the table. I can't prove myself any more than I already have. The question is, why don't you believe in me? The question isn't whether Jesus can prove himself, whether he's true or not. He's proven himself not only in his life, but since this moment. In the 2,000 years since his resurrection and death, 
He's proven himself over and over and over again. The question is, why don't you believe in him? It's like if we went all and we stood by the beach right now, even though it's raining. If we stood on the beach and you said, looked out on the vast expanse of water and you said, I don't believe in you, Atlantic Ocean. If you're really so vast and deep, prove it. The Atlantic Ocean has no need to prove itself to you. It is vast and it is deep. See, the great temptation that we have is we want to try and make Jesus prove himself to us. I want to make Jesus prove himself to me. If you're really God, prove it to us. Prove it to me. If you're really God, then make sure that blank doesn't happen. We want to set the conditions. If you're really God, then tell me why so-and-so happened. If you're really God, then give me the life I've always wanted. It's like the girl in the movie, The Miracle on 34th Street. You guys seen that? And she says, if you're really Santa Claus, then you'll give me what I ask. And if you're not, if you don't, then you're just a nice man with a white beard like my mom says. That's how we respond to, to Jesus a lot. It's like asking the question, tell me why you spent so much on Amazon this month. We want him on our terms. Because really we're not interested in him at all. We're really interested in our terms more than him. Especially especially if he's claiming to be God and Savior. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. And he uses this statement. It sounds like circular logic a little bit, but he says this. He says, you don't believe in me because you're not among my sheep. It sounds like circular logic, but it makes sense if and only if you're dealing with God. Because there's no way that he can prove himself more to you than he already has. There's no way that he could lose your trust if you actually placed it in him. The only way to know him is to know him rightly. And that means, Jesus says, to approach him like a sheep approaching a shepherd. Here's what he's saying. He says, you cannot believe in him, you cannot know him if you come to him any other way. If you come to him trying to make make him prove himself to you, if you come to him as anything other than a sheep coming to a shepherd, you cannot know him. If you are the authority, if you are the one who determines what's right and what's wrong, If you are the judge who's issuing a verdict on whether he's worthy to be worshipped or not, then you will not know him. You will never know him. Why don't you believe in him? Because you do not know him as a sheep knows his shepherd. That's the only way to know him. But then, the question that comes, well, why do you believe in Jesus? Why would anybody believe in Jesus? And he says this in verse 27. He says, my sheep, hear that possessive? My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Now, this statement, 
opens up a lot of things that we could discuss. There's a lot of doctrinal, even philosophical implications of what Jesus means when he says this. Remember what he just said before this. Let's hear it together. Verse 26 and 27. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, I know that some of you, not everyone in this room, but some of you, when you heard that, you heard it, and you already have your guards up and your fangs out. I heard some of you pull your swords as I read it. There's a lot of theological arguments here. There's a lot of implications here. And the implications are, are do people believe because they decided to believe? Or do they, or do they believe because God decided they are to believe? Those are big questions. And they're not just intellectual questions. They're, they can be pretty emotional when you get to understand all and think about all the implications. And I just want to say this. While I am ready and willing to discuss all the doctrinal implications of this passage, and it is important, what I really want to key on this morning is what I think Jesus meant at the moment that he said this. And that is the experiential aspect of what it means to believe. Remember, Jesus isn't trying to defend himself here, and he's not trying to make a doctrinal statement that his followers can argue about, about thousands of years later after this, and they can debate it on YouTube and Twitter. I've seen some of you guys on there. The question he's answering is, why don't you believe in me, and why would anyone? What happens? Not just in the background, not just in eternity past, but what happens that causes someone to go from unbelief to belief? That's what he's getting at. What happens that causes someone to move from unbelief to belief? You see, here's the thing. A lot of stuff has to happen for someone to go from unbelief to belief. Scripture describes us as this whenever we are unbelievers. And every single one of us is in this camp by birth. It says we are dead in our trespasses and sins. It says that before we are believers, we are without hope. And without God in the world, that's all of our natural state. Jesus describes us in this passage as those who are either in his flock or those who are not among his sheep or his flock. In other words, by nature, by birth, by choice, all of us are on the outside. And we're quite content to be there. We're all on the outside. And we're quite content to be there. We not, might not be content in life. We may not be happy in life. We may be. But we're absolutely happy to be outside of Christ. We're content to, not to be in his flock and under his shepherdship. I'm making that word up. We're quite content to do whatever we have to do in life, even if we're unhappy and discontent, as long as we're not under his shepherdship. And yet, and yet millions, even billions of people have made that move from unbelief to belief. 
have made that move from dead in their trespasses and sins to confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, have moved from those who are without hope and without God in the world to those who repent of their sins and follow Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They have drastically altered their course. They've entered the narrow gate and the narrow way that Jesus described. They've given up their autonomy and they've gladly pledged their lives. They've given worship to and even given their lives for Jesus. And for that to happen, it involves the whole person, not just intellectual thought and not just a momentary emotional decision. It's a truth and a reality that grips you. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's a truth and a reality that grips you. It's something that moves and captivates your mind and your heart. It's meaty enough to engage and enthrall your intellect, and yet it's astonishing and beautiful enough to enrapture your affections. Why do you, or why would anyone believe in Jesus? And here's what Jesus says. Here's why. He says, they, you believe in me because I know you. You believe in Jesus because he knows you. The almighty, the great, the creator, the eternal one, knows you. That's the reality and the truth that drastically changes both minds and hearts. And Jesus uses the language of a shepherd to describe it. If you come to him, if you do come to him, if you believe in him, then you do so as a sheep to a shepherd. You recognize, I'm going to use another thing that's not a word, but you recognize your sheepiness or your sheepness. You recognize I'm not made to be the shepherd of my own life. That's not the way I was created. That's not what I've been put together to do. I'm made to follow a shepherd. And when I look back over my life, I see, well, well I followed that shepherd and that shepherd and that false shepherd and that false shepherd. And I've been, I thought I was cutting my own way, but I realized I was actually following culture and influencers and friends and family. They were the one that was leading me. I was always following something or somebody. I am a sheep and I need a shepherd and he alone is the great and good shepherd. And you recognize both the authority and the care of Jesus as your shepherd. You recognize that he alone is the authority as your shepherd, and he alone cares for you with a true selfless, sacrificial love. He's the only one. And you become to recognize that because you realize that he knows you. What does that mean? What's the picture when he's saying that, he, that when he, he knows us? What does that mean? Well, first it means that you are personally counted by Jesus. Do you hear the phrase that Jesus uses here? He says, you don't know me because you aren't, quote, among my sheep. The picture here is of a, a shepherd and his flock. And this is true for a shepherd and his flock. There are those that are his and there are those that are not his. There's a number, and there's a number because there's belonging. 
when you guys leave here today, I won't be concerned, I love you guys, but I'm not gonna be concerned about when you leave and where you're going when you leave here. You know why not? Because you are not my children. But my kids, whether they want it or not, are going to be my concern. Because they have a special relationship to me. I'm going to know where they're going, who they're going with, and what's happening. Whenever I leave here, I'm going to be counting. It's not hard for me to count to three, but I'm going to be counting and make sure I've got all three of my kids with me. I'm always taking account of them and where they are. Why? Because they are my children. I count them. They are among my family. And do you know, you have that relationship to Jesus. Have you sensed or seen his hand guide you in your life up to this point? Whether you're a believer or not, have you seen his hand guide you? Have you seen him keep you from worse decisions that you could have made? Have you seen him bring you back? Have you seen him alter your course? Have you seen him close doors that you wanted to walk through and open doors that you did not want to walk through? Has he brought you to an end of yourself even though you tried to go another way? Has he brought you to church even though you never pictured yourself in such a place or coming back to such a place? He knows you and he counts you and he sees you. Do you feel a longing to be counted among something meaningful? That is the loving yet firm hand of the shepherd, your shepherd guiding you. And whenever you wake up and you realize that, it changes you. When you say, I'm counted among his sheep and he has been guiding me and leading me, he counts me among his, it changes you. It means that you are counted, but it also means that you are personally known by Jesus. Not only are you just counted in the group, but it means you, you are personally known by Jesus, the shepherd. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Jesus didn't just come for a group of people. He came for you. He came for you. In all of your weirdness, in all of your weakness, in all of your sin, and in all of your depravity, and in all of your brokenness, and in all of your lostness, he came for you and he knows you. He came because he knows you and he loves you. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus was super clear on this. He told another story, a parable about a, a shepherd, famous, you guys, most of you guys know the story, about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. A hundred sheep, but he lost one. He gets back in the fold at night, he's counting them up, and dag blasted. I can say that in church, that's the, that's the, that's the church version. Dag blasted. That's the country even me coming out. Dag blasted. Bart is not here. Dang, Bart, he's always getting in trouble. Where did, where did we lose him? How long has he been gone? 
And what he doesn't say when he gets them there at night is, well, 99 out of 100 is a pretty good average. That might be what I'm inclined to say. You know what? I'm tired. I haven't eaten. One out of 100, we'll just call that a business loss. We'll write that off our taxes and we will move on. But he doesn't say that. He leaves the 99 and he searches for the one. You. That's you, by the way. You are, every single one of us, we're the one. There might be times that you're in the fold without all the 99, but at some point you were the one. And Jesus personally said, I'm going to go get them. Don't worry. I'm going to go get them. Through fields, over hills, in rocky crags, he traveled that night. He kept searching and searching and searching until he found that one disobedient, ungrateful lamb. That's you, and that's me. Do you know him? Do you know that firm and loving hand of that shepherd? Do you believe in him? If you do, it's because he found you and he knows you. Not only does he know you, he says here, we are in personal communication with Jesus. You aren't just counted. You aren't just known personally. It could end there, and it could sound like a corporate thing. Guys, Google and other tech companies count me among their users. And they know a lot about me and a lot about you. They know who you are and where you shop and when you, when you go to this site and when you go to this site. They probably know when you wake up and when you go to sleep because they can tell by your activity. But it's not like Jesus. Jesus, our God and Savior, knows me, he knows you, and he communicates with me and he communicates with you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Lost lamb, do you hear the voice of Jesus calling you? That's your invite. And it's all the permission that you need to come to him. You, the lost the rebellious, the forgotten, can come before the Lord of the universe without cowering. Do you hear him saying, though you are lost, come to me. Though your sins are scarlet, I will make them white as snow. The good shepherd, he says, gives his life for his sheep, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. In this the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the payment for our sins. Do you hear Jesus? Do you hear him communicating to you? Do you hear him calling out from the cross, Father, Forgive them. 
do you hear him saying that all who believe in him would, ha- would have eternal life, that none would perish? He hears you, and he hears your heart cry. Do you hear him? Believer, do you realize what a great privilege it is that you hear him and that he hears you? It's the God of creation, the eternal Holy One who dwells in unapproachable light. He hears you and you hear him. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit hear you and they speak to you. Believer, rejoice in that. You are counted and you are known and you are loved. May the Holy Spirit on this Pentecost Sunday confirm his word about Jesus. May he speak to your heart. May he verify the truth of the gospel to you. May the Holy Spirit pour his presence upon us so that we may see and know and taste and see the glory of Jesus Christ. And lastly and quickly, because I don't have much time. How can you know Jesus will guide you? How can you know Jesus will guide you? It could be a sermon in itself, but look at it, verse 28 through 30. He says this, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Some of you guys need to print this out and put it on your bathroom mirror. I give them eternal life, they will never perish, and no one, no one will snatch them out of my hands. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. It's like saying, guys, uh, my wallet has $3,000 in it. It does not. My wallet has $3,000 in it, and it is in David Duran's pocket. If you can get it, you can have it. You know what? That $3,000 is safe in his hands, and he says, the Father who is greater than all has given them to me, has given you to him, and no one is able to snatch them out of his hands. I and the Father are one. We should have some church on this passage. We should declare this holiday weekend a great celebration of this truth. If you believe in him because he knows you, how can you know that your shepherd will guide you? How can you know that he will protect you? How can you know that he will keep you? How can you know that you will make it through your current heartache? How can you know that you'll make it through your current crisis of belief? How can you know that you'll make it through your financial problems? How can you know that you'll make it through your marital issues? How can you know that you'll make it through your scary health problems that you're facing right now? You know know why? Well, we have been given eternal life by the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. You are in his, his strong hand. The Father himself gave you personally to Jesus, and he, he is greater than all, and no one can snatch you or anything out of his hands. 
Jesus and the Father are one. The Holy Spirit is giving you life. The Holy Trinity is holding you and he will hold you. Praise his name. If you today aren't counted among his sheep, come to him today. Hear his voice today. Know today that he counts you and he has come for you. And believer, if you are his today, (laughs) rejoice in him. Take a nap in him. Sleep deeply in his grace, in his arms. Go to bed tonight with a full heart and confidence that though you do not know what faces you tomorrow, you do not know what heartache or trouble is facing you on the other side of this sunset and sunrise, you know he is there and the Father has placed me in his hand and no one, no one, no one can snatch me out of his hand. The shepherd knows me and he loves me. He communicates with me. He calls me and he holds me and he will guide me to the end. And if I ever again find myself counted outside of the 99 because I tried to run away, you know what he'll do? He'll come after you. What security there is in that. It doesn't rest upon you. Hey, somebody here needs to hear that today. You need to take a deep breath and hear it doesn't rest upon you. If you are his, it rests upon him. And if you're not his, man, come to him with exhausted, repentant arms and say, I'm here. Save me. I'm going to pray. We're going to have communion together. We're going to have communion together. And here's the beauty of this picture. The shepherd became the lamb. He became the lamb because we were disobedient lambs. And he took the punishment that was due to the disobedient lambs. He was crushed and pierced for your iniquities and mine. What a good shepherd. But he rose again on the third day, promising newness of life to all those who follow him. So if you're a believer in Christ today, come forward. After the band comes up and I have a station on both sides, come forward and receive in your hand the broken body and the shed blood of Christ for you. Return to your seat. And I'll come back up and lead us in communion together. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the great one. You have saved us and called us your own. You came after us You know us and you love us. And you've given us life so that we will never perish. Oh, Lord, make that true. Let us know and taste and see that truth today as believers. God, for any person here today who has not experienced that new birth, Lord, I pray you'd bring conviction to their heart, that you lead to repentance and faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone. They would leave here today knowing they've been captured, caught, 
rescued by the good shepherd who's bringing them back home. Lord, we ask you to help us in the name of Christ Jesus for your glory and for our joy.